0: I want to welcome everyone today who's joining us through our online campus for this worship experience. If you've got a Bible with you, I want you to grab it and go with me to the book of Romans and the 12th chapter and just hold that ready there for a few minutes. You know, I'm a movie fan, a movie buff, and I was thinking earlier today about the movie What About Bob? It's an older movie uh, starring Bill Murray who plays this, uh, basically a crazy patient named Bob, and he goes to his psychiatrist, played by Richard Dreyfuss, and while he's in his office, uh, his psychiatrist talks to him about baby steps, baby steps, taking baby steps as he goes through life to try to improve in his um, uh, mental condition and uh, improve the quality of his daily life, and it's really kind of a funny, there's a funny scene when he's uh, uh, repeating the baby steps to him and, and taking baby steps there in the uh, doctor's office. And I got to thinking about that in relation to where things are in this crazy time of this uh, COVID-19 virus that we've been going through now for the last uh, several months. And I was thinking about uh, uh, just a, a basic return to more a, a more normal experience when it comes to weekend worship. I was looking back and we returned uh, to in-person worship. We reopened our services in-person worship on the weekend, on the weekend of July 11th and 12th. And on that weekend, we had 698 people who worshiped in person. You fast forward to last weekend, which was uh, what, August 29th and 30th, and we had 1,132. And so we see each week just a baby step forward in trying to get back to normal, but it's not just in weekend worship. We have reopened the weekend services to children's programming and middle school programming. Uh, there's a limited number, and we require an RSVP. But it's a start. It's a baby step. Uh, our high school kids have been meeting on Sunday nights and engage. It's a baby step. Youth sports are open again. We've got soccer going on right now. I believe volleyball and we're getting ready to have signups for basketball in the fall and it's another baby step and I'm just encouraged with every baby step and so I want to just ask all of you who uh, worship with us in person and all of you who join online just continue to be faithful and pray for God's blessing, God's protection, God's guidance as we continue to move back towards some uh, level of normal when it comes to Uh, our weekend worship and just the ministry of our church here in this community and around the world. But uh, this weekend... As we worship together, we're beginning a brand new series called The Look of Love, and the tagline for the series is a verse-by-verse study of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And the reason why we're calling this series The Look of Love is because more than anything else, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, is a description of what love is supposed to look like in our lives as believers, not just among one another in the community of faith, but everywhere we go in the world as well. You don't have to read very far in the New Testament to discover the importance of love. I mean, how about these words from Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He was talking to the disciples, and he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he added this, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Later in the New Testament, John, who wrote that gospel who recorded those words of Jesus in John 13 writes in his first epistle 1 John chapter 4 and verse 21 these words and he has given this and he has given us rather this command whoever loves God must also love his brother the two go hand in hand whoever loves God must also love his brother the apostle Paul in that great chapter of love, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, begins like this. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 1. He said, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's the way it reads in my NIV Bible. I like the way it reads in the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. In the message, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 reads like this. No matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt Without love. I could go on because there's no shortage of verses about the power and the importance of love in our lives, but I'm going to stop right there. The scripture makes it clear that as we go through our day-to-day lives as believers, we are to lead with love. And the love that we're talking about is that agape love we talked about a few weeks ago When I taught about marriage in our Faith and Family series, in a message called Surviving the Threats to Marriage, I talked about the truth that marriages must be grounded in love, but not just any love, the agape love of the Bible, which is a selfless and a sacrificial love. But here's the problem with that kind of love. It's easy to talk about it in terms of a concept or in terms of an ideal, but hard to live out on a practical level. In fact, if I asked you this question today, what does selfless and sacrificial love look like, and I told you that you weren't allowed to give the Sunday school answer and just say, well, selfless and sacrificial love looks like Jesus, or selfless and sacrificial love looks like Jesus dying on the cross, then what would you say? How would you answer It might be easy for us to give an answer that was big and dramatic. You know, we think of some big and dramatic example in the world. But the problem with a big and dramatic example is that's not necessarily what we're looking for. There can be times when that's the case. But what we need to discover is what selfless, sacrificial love looks like on an everyday day-in, day-out basis as we just interact with the people that we encounter in this world. And so that's why we're going to take a few weeks to study this passage, this great, powerful passage from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, because it shows us on the most practical level what selfless, sacrificial love needs to look like in the lives of ordinary believers like you and me. And so, if you've got your Bible open there to Romans chapter 12, then you follow along as I read verses 9 through 21. And in my Bible, the, the heading for this section of Romans chapter 12 is just the simple word, love. Paul writes and says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not replay Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's our passage that we're going to be studying for the next few weeks. We always ask for God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, we're going to begin this weekend. We're going to kick off this series by simply talking about verse 9. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul simply writes, "'Love must be sincere.'" hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And this is where everything begin when it begins when it comes to the kind of love God wants to see lived out in our lives. And what we need to understand is that this is very personal to all of us because the ability to love like God, the ability to love like God wants us to love, begins foundationally with two simple truths that are found in that one single verse. And here's the first one. If you'd like to take notes, write this down somewhere. Love... Must be real. That's the first foundational truth that we learn from this passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Love must be real. The very first part of Romans 12, 9 says, love must be sincere. Now, it's easy to see why this is a foundational truth about love, because of all the things in life that you can be dishonest and deceitful about, there is nothing that would be more hurtful to someone else than being dishonest and being deceitful about love. And so Paul says, he begins by saying, love must be sincere. And I want to emphasize once again that the love that Paul is talking about here is that agape love that we talked about a few weeks ago. That's the literal word he uses in the original language when he writes Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. And as I said just a few minutes ago, agape love is a selfless love. And a sacrificial love that is steadfast and persevering and on and on and on. Agape love is a love that chooses to focus on what's best for someone else and then works hard to see that happen. And so that means agape love is more than just a word, it's an action, it's a pursuit, it's something that's got to be constant in our lives. And so Paul begins this section of Romans chapter 12 that shows us what love looks like by saying first and foremost, love must be sincere. In other words, you can't fake agape love. The word sincere, and you've probably heard this before, is an English word that's based on the Latin words sina sera. And the words sina sera together literally mean without wax. Now, that's a reference to the ancient practice of using wax to hide cracks in inferior pieces of pottery so that they could be disguised while at the market and sold at a higher price. In fact, quality pottery in ancient days would often be stamped with these two words, sina, sira," or in other words, without wax to show that it, had, that it had not been in any way doctored or repaired because of some problem when it was being created. You can see the application to being sincere in love Clearly, here because someone who is sincere in love is not hiding or covering up anything about their love with false and deceptive words or actions. The specific Greek word that Paul uses in Romans 12 and verse 9 uh, for sincere is the Greek word anapokritos. And literally translated, it means undisguised or without a mask. And again, the application is clear. So here's the deal, and I'm going to repeat what I said earlier. We need to be sincere in our love because there are few things in life that are more hurtful and more damaging than insincerity. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been in a situation? Have you ever been in a relationship, any kind of relationship, where you believe that someone loved you, that you believe, where you believe that someone cared about you and that their feelings for you were genuine only to find out that that wasn't the case? How hurtful and devastating was that to you? There's nothing more damaging when it comes to love than insincerity. And so we need to make sure that our love is sincere. And this is especially relevant in this crazy world and crazy culture that we live in today that's filled with insincerity, that's filled with people who fake a lot of different things, sometimes in the most bizarre way. I read a story this week about a Nebraska-based business that offers to bolster your social media pages, your Facebook, your Instagram, Twitter and things like that. That offers to bolster your social media pages with expertly faked photos of you and or your family on vacations you never took. The company whose name is literally Fake a Vacation offers starting packages at $19.99 for a service to superimpose the photos of you in front of famous landmarks and popular vacation spots, including, but not limited, to places like Las Vegas, the Grand Canyon, Hawaii, Walt Disney World. The company ad reads like this, make your friends envious of where you were and have them thinking of being where you are. Fake vacation is a perfect meme for bragging to your friends. The package also includes some facts about each destination to help each customer, customer develop or fabricate a story about their fake vacation. Now is that the craziest thing you ever heard? And can you imagine anyone buying into something like that where they would literally fake be insincere about a vacation they took simply because they made it. They they thought it made it look be- them look better. Well, that's the kind of world that we live in. But here's the deal. It's one thing to be fake, to be insincere about a vacation you took. It's another thing altogether to be fake or insincere about a love for other people that's based on your love for Christ, your love for Jesus. Because there's so much more at stake when we look at relationships, the Bible teaches us in multiple places that when we say we love God, when we say we love Jesus and yet have no real concern and no real guard, regard for others, then our love is not sincere because loving others is the driving force of the Christian life. And so when we say that we love God and we say we love Jesus but we don't love others, then that's a big red flag that says, you know, our love for God and our love for Jesus is not all that it's supposed to be. Because our love for God and our love for Jesus, the Bible makes clear, is seen in the way we love others. And again, that's supposed to be one of the driving forces or the driving realities of the Christian life, our love for others. Remember, it was Jesus who said in John 13 and verse 35 that the reality of our faith, the reality of our profession, is demonstrated by the way we love. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Well, let me give you a second foundational truth about love that's found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Not only must our love be real, be genuine, but our love must be discerning. That's number two. You should write that down somewhere. Love must be discerning. Remember Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9 says, love must be sincere. In other words, love must be real. It must be genuine. It can't be fake. It can't be insincere. And then Paul goes on to say, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, it may seem odd for Paul to quickly move from writing about love to writing about hate, but when you take the time to think about it, it makes perfect sense. Paul is basically just continuing to emphasize the importance of sincere love by pointing out the truth that sincere love, love that's real, love that's genuine, doesn't love everything. That's why he writes, love must be sincere, followed by hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, you may or may not be surprised to know that the Bible actually has quite a bit to say about God and hate or hatred. I'll give you an example by putting the words of Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 on the screen so you can read them as we share together. This is what it says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And then he lists them haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Now, honestly, and you'll see this in the week to, weeks to come, those words pretty much fall in line with what Paul writes in the latter part of Romans chapter 12. Uh, verses nine through twenty-one, but it starts right in the latter part of Romans chapter twelve and verse nine, when he says, "Love must be sincere." But then he follows it up by saying, "Hate what is evil, and cling to what is good." We could talk about this for a long time, but the bottom line is, God who is love—that's what the Bible says about God. In First John chapter four and verse eight, it literally says, "God is love." God who is love hates evil. This is a clear instruction of the Bible. We could talk about that uh, for a long time, but I want to stay focused on the context of Romans 12 and verse 9, and just note the fact that Paul writes, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and one of the evils that God hates the most, one that would be at the top of the list, and this is something reiterated over and over again in the Bible, is insincerity. One of the evils God hates the most is insincerity. Let me give you another word for it, and maybe that will become even more clear to you. The other word for it would be the word hypocrisy. Insincerity and hypocrisy are basically, in this context, the same thing. God hates insincerity. God hates hypocrisy, and we see that all through the Bible. I I, I don't have time to show you a variety of different texts, so I'm just going to put the words of Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 up on the screen, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to put them, put them up on the screen from the message, which, again, is simply a paraphrase of the Bible. Normally, I use my NIV Bible, the New International Version, but I'm going to put these words up from the message because I think they give real clarity to what God is communicating to his people about their insincere worship their insincere love about their hypocrisy. Listen to what he says. Why this frenzy of sacrifices? Don't you think I've had my fill of burnt sacrifices, rams and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls, lambs, and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in a place provided for worship? Quit your worship charades. You see the insincerity and the hypocrisy in those words. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more meeting for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer, notice this, prayer performance, insincerity, hypocrisy. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, "I'll not be listening." And again, those are the words of Isaiah chapter one, verses 12 through 15, from the message. "God hates insincere faith. God hates insincere worship. God hates hypocrisy. And Jesus mirrored this same attitude. Jesus, who was God in human flesh, communicated this same truth. If you want to know how Jesus felt about insincerity and uh, hypocrisy, just open your Bible sometime today to Matthew chapter 23 and read through that chapter. In that chapter, Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, was the image of the invisible God and the exact representation of his being. That's how he describes the reality of Jesus. In Matthew 23, this same Jesus pronounces seven woes on the Pharisees all because of their hypocrisy, all because of their insincere faith and their insincere worship. God hates evil. That's what the Bible makes clear. But at the top of the list, he really hates the evil of insincerity and hypocritical and false worship. And so what we need to do as we heed the first instruction of Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 that says love must be sincere is we need to, first of all, hate evil just like God does. And that includes the evil of insincere, hypocritical, and false faith. If you were with us in worship last week, either in person or online, you know we had. A, I shared a message about parenting. And I talked about how we need to parent from a position of wisdom. We need to pursue wisdom. And one of the things that we need to teach our children... Uh, is this truth about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, there's another interesting verse related to the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. It says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then it goes on to say, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. And so one of the first things we need to do in order to make sure that our love is sincere is to identify the things uh, that our love uh, rejects. And our love rejects all things that are evil. The Bible makes it clear that God hates evil. And at the top of the list, one of the most important things that we need to hate uh, because it's evil is insincere, hypocritical, and false faith. And so we need to, number one, Uh, hate evil in the same way that God does. The second thing we need to do is we need to cling to what is good. That's what Romans 12 and verse 9 says. We need to cling to what is good. And while we can make a long list of the things that God considers good, at the top of the list, especially in the context of what we're talking about today, would be sincere love. Sincere love. That's what we need to cling to, making sure that our love is real and genuine and not false or insincere or hypocritical in any way. And what we have in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, this passage that we're going to be studying for the next few weeks, is a description of what sincere love looks like in the lives of ordinary people like you and me. And that's what makes this study so very important. We need to make sure that our love, the love that we're commanded to have for God, the love that we're commanded to have for others, for one another, is sincere because sincere love has the power to impact people's lives. I read an interesting story when I was putting this message together uh, about a writer who was a non-practicing Jew and a lengthy article that she wrote for the January 2016 edition of GQ magazine. The article was all about her meeting a man named Carl Lentz, who was a pastor from Hillsong Church in New York City. And really, it was clear, if you look at the article, that she was very surprised by her encounter with this Christian pastor. And the thing that surprised her the most is that she really liked him. Listen to what she wrote. And here I have to say out loud how much I like Carl. I like him even though he is ideologically opposed to things that are important to me. And I like him because he is so worried for my soul. This should annoy me, but instead it touches me because maybe I'm worried about my soul too. And Carl wants so badly for me to enjoy heaven with him. How can I fault someone who is more sincere, note that, who is more sincere about this one thing than I have ever been about anything in my life? But on the other hand, if there's one thing that's true about Christianity, it's that no matter what, it's still afraid for your soul. It still thinks you're in for a reckoning. It's still Christianity. Christianity's whole jam is remaining Christian. Then she goes on to tell about how after attending worship, her relationship with this pastor caused her to attend worship services at Hillsong for a number of weeks. She explains that one weekend she didn't go to church, and instead, this is what she wrote, I went to soccer games with my children and ordered a pizza, and at the end of the evening, I cleaned the kitchen, and I bent down to a place, or excuse me, I bent down to place dinner plates into the dishwasher, and as I did, I hummed Hillsong music to myself, and then suddenly I straightened up and I looked out the window into the dark and I realized that I missed them all very much. She didn't go to church one weekend after going for several weeks and later that day she realized in a simple, mundane, ordinary moment how much she missed it. Sincere love has the power to impact people's lives and that's why Paul wrote, this entire section of Romans chapter 12, these verses 9 through 21 that talk about what love looks like. And that's why he began in verse 9 by saying, love must be sincere and followed that up with these words, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So let me just close today by asking you a simple question, but a direct question. Where as a believer... Where do you fall on the sincere love scale today? I mean, if you think about being a scale of one to ten, one with man my my love is not very sincere, in fact, my love is weak and poor. I'm really struggling with that to ten, which is like sincere love on steroids, sincere love off the charts. Where does your sincere love fall on that scale today? I thought about this in preparing this message, and I thought to myself, at best, for me, it might be right in the middle, at best. It's probably not, honestly, but at best, it'd be right in the middle, somewhere around a five, because oftentimes, it's not that I'm insincere or hypocritical about love, it's just that I'm not interested in loving others the way that I should be which really, really makes your question the depth of my love for God, the depth of my love for Jesus. How about you? You know, I find that when it comes to interacting with other people and as I go through my day and day out life, whether it's somebody that I know or somebody that I just encounter uh, in a brief way, I really have to be more intentional in seeing them in the same way that Jesus does, and loving them in a genuine, honest, real, sincere way that might, at least in some small way, in some small measure, leave a positive impact on their life. This is what God wants for all of us. And we need to remember that one of the most foundational truths of the New Testament is that if we say we love God, and we say we love Jesus, then we must love others. I hope that challenges your heart in the same way that it challenges mine, and I hope it will make you excited the way I'm excited to work our way verse by verse by verse through Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, so that we can see exactly What sincere love needs to look like in our lives, day after day after day. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for a chance to share from your word today, and I pray that you would challenge and convict all of our hearts with regard to the way we love, the way we love you first and foremost, and then the way our love for you motivates us and leads us, directs us to love others. Help us to know that it's not going to be our arguments. It's not going to be dramatic moments in our lives because most of us don't have very many dramatic moments that really make a positive impact for Christ on the world around us. It's going to be the way we choose to love people day after day after day. Help us to make sure that at the very top of the list, our love is sincere. This is our prayer, and we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.